Welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, the show all about pros. Whoa, 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 whoa! What are you doing? Hold your horses here, buddy. We can't just change who's doing the intro willy nilly. We have to. We have to do an impact analysis. We need to communicate the change properly. We need to make sure that the document, like it's everything, is documented. That sounds like a lot of steps. Yeah, it, it does sound like a lot of steps. And this is called change management, a show that we're going to present to you right now. Let's get into it. Hello, dear listeners. Um, so today we actually are going to talk about uh, change management, which is interesting topic, which uh, I have to be honest, we are still learning uh, together with Patrick. Uh, mm-hmm. However, uh, you know, things and uh, that what I'm dealing with, uh, with one of my customers actually brought me to this topic very recently. And uh, what we are doing there is that uh, we go a little beyond implementing Salonis only and implementing process planning technology. And we are very much waiting in on what we can actually achieve with this technology. And we are starting to realize how difficult things are. And due to the uh, various circumstances that we have there, we also have some very capable people who already have uh, experience with, uh, with uh, processes, implementing changes, and just, just general uh, suite of uh, change management. Um, we thought it would be very cool to actually share our experiences here, uh, what we've been dealing with our customers. And also, I think Patrick will mention some of his previous experience with some where we were used to work before and kind of bring you closer to what change management is and how does process mining actually fit into this frame. And I'll just start with a very little, um, I would say, example from a real world. And that's, um, you know, nobody really likes to change, uh, be it in the company, be it yourself. Uh, it's very difficult. It's very, you have to swallow a lot of pride. You have to do things differently. And changes are difficult. And, you know, implementing changes in an organization, that's just a whole different level because it's not only pushing yourself and, you know, people around you, but it's generally and very often pushing your, pushing the whole company forward in some direction. And therefore, around change management was created this whole uh, theory, this whole, uh, you know, a discipline which uh, looks into ways on how to formalize changes and how to actually execute them so that your organization stays at the top of the game and is agile and able to change. Yeah, for sure. It, it's also one of the things that we haven't really spoken about before, right? It very much comes to the, in terms of a process mining project, there's always a point where we get to when it says, okay, we can highlight all the inefficiencies, you know, we can give some suggestions on how these things could be improved. And then, you know, obviously the question drops, okay, well, how do we, how do we go about doing that? And then it's usually, well, you know, we need to think about change management here because these problems are fairly deep, they're fairly inherent. And, you know, this is not just a, a quick thing that we can just snap out of our fingers and say, well, your organization has now changed and it's no longer inefficient. No, no, this requires change management. Why? Well, we're going to highlight why that is and why it's so important in this episode. Yeah, I guess what we can start with is a definition. And as I said, um, I will highlight it once again here. We are not change management experts, uh, but yeah, we've but been... <laughs> not being experts on something has never stopped us from speaking on something in the past. So <laughs> that's also true. However, uh, our experience taught us, uh, and also experience with uh, the people we had the privilege to interview in our podcast actually mm-hmm. brought us here, brought us to this topic and uh, pushes us into thinking about it in a different, with a different perspectives than we would probably have if we were just implementing process mining, right? Mm. So while being aware of this uh, larger picture, we try to, to, sh- to shed some light on it. And obviously, uh, if you feel like you are actually a change management expert and could bring some more experience, some more knowledge into, into our show, then please reach out. We would be so happy to talk to you. Absolutely. I mean, for sure. I mean, because as we said, we're not experts and please come on the show, correct the record if we say something incredibly uh, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Let's start with uh, the definition. Uh, I hope that I don't get this one wrong because it's from Wikipedia. However, change management, <laughs> change management is a collective term for all approaches to prepare, support and help individuals, teams and organizations in making organizational change. Um, it includes methods that redirect or re- redefine the use of resources, business processes, budget allocations, or other modes 
of operation that significantly change company or organizations. Um, what's to add, Patrick? I mean, as far as I can tell, that's a pretty good, um, pretty good description. I think sometimes it's hard to kind of visualize just how much, how many resources and how much is involved in doing like the simplest change, right? Yeah. If you think about very simple changes and if you think about um, maybe just swapping out an Excel file from this version to this version, that can't be that hard, right? Technologically, not at all, but everything that's involved, right? All the things that are involved in making this, um, that use this Excel file or something, all have to be scoped, all have to be, you know, um, accounted for and all these things that go along with it um, could be huge, right? And um, this is, of course, what change management exactly does. Um, yeah, uh, Patrick, I think you have a uh, experience with you. You mentioned swapping uh, Excel <laughs> files, and as a part of preparation, we were discussing different points. You actually uh, introduced me to what you've been dealing with in your with your previous employer. Can you also uh, share with the others? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one of the one of the examples that um, I got to got to realize at, uh, at my former employer Airbus is. Um, and so every plane that is being built has a you know a unique serial number, right? So back in the day, back in the early seventies and eighties, when the first programs and visual aid designs and all these things were were programmed, um, you know they they had a certain specific allocation of how many digits they could use for the serial number. Back then, it was just four. That's just what they settled <laughs> on. Let's just stick to four. That's how we uniquely identify. Our, our aircrafts. And that was working fine until, you know, like the 9,000 mark or somewhere around that area where, you know, people started getting nervous and, and started thinking, well, we, we're running out of digits here. We, we need five <laughs> digits to really uniquely identify all of our aircraft now because we're getting to 10,000. And then there was this big Y2K moment um, in, well, we need more letters. I mean, how much is this affecting? It can't be that hard, right? So, and so they did this study about, okay, from the planning, from the electrical, from the from the interior, and all these things that need to happen, how many of these programs um, are affected by changing from four letters to to five? It turns out almost all of them, right? <laughs> so it, it affected literally every part of the business, and it would severely just cripple. And nobody really knew what would happen if you just introduced five letters to this program. Fail the interface would fail. The connection, the data in, interchange between these programs would fail. No one knew. So there was this huge um, um, program launched in, internally, the MSN5 project, essentially upgrading everything iterative, iteratively, piece by piece, to make sure that once you know those first models start coming in and needing those five letters, that everything would still work according to, to plan and that there were no big business disruptions and, and all these things, right? So it's the, the tiniest things of changing from four letters to five that have the largest impacts that you can imagine. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, can you imagine that the person who was developing the system and was thinking, hmm, let's just use four letters. Uh, how big of a problem could it be, right? Yeah, and if exactly. it's a problem, it's not going to be me who's dealing with it anyway. <laughs> it's not going to so. be my problem, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the same thing we saw in Y2K when you know people were using two, two um, numbers for the year. And just didn't think about, oh, well, there's a millennium coming up. Maybe this is going to be problematic. <laughs> and then, you know, a huge push was, um, was done to actually convert all the, all the old programs to, right. to fit with that. Yeah. yeah, and that's basically change management. Because these tiniest thing that, at least to a normal person, seem like a very easy thing, easy change, or just a transition, um, have major implications for all kinds of people, all kinds of parts of organization. And, you know, rolling out new technology or changing your internal business processes is difficult and it takes time. And what we kind of want to highlight in this episode that, um, you know, talk a bit about this change management topic and uh, discuss the different phases and how we can actually apply it for maybe business processes that we are usually working with. Um, then just speak about how process mining can help us with that and what it actually cannot help us with. Um, and uh, finally, just again, shed a light on how we can build a process-driven culture. And I guess first, uh, every change management comes in different phases. And this already comes into the planning. And um, you know, while preparing for this episode, I came uh, across a couple of different methodologies that are really studying this discipline of change management. And I came across terms um, such as ADKAR uh, model or uh, John Cotter's eight-step process for leading change, 
which essentially lays down the foundation on how the process, uh, how the change management should be executed. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to actually introduce it, this, these steps on, um, on a process that uh, we and obviously you also know quite well because we talked about it in our last episode, <laughs> which is accounts payable. Um, and therefore, let's actually jump into this John Cotter's A-step process for leading change. Um, the first step there is a creative search, uh, a sense of urgency when applying uh, a change management method. Um, you know, when you have an accounts payable process, uh, creating a sense of urgency is probably pretty easy. If you're paying your vendors late or if you don't pay them at all, uh, everything is too late, everything is uh, paid uh, uh, after the due date, you kind of have an urgency and everybody wants to fix the problem. So creating an urgency here, I think it's, uh, it's uh, a no-brainer how to, how to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you tell any um, finance person, hey, we're losing so and so much money just because we're not doing things on time, you know, lose their minds. So yeah. the urgency is definitely there. Also, probably one of the reasons why AP process are, is usually the one that uh, companies are working on first when it comes to implementing process mining technology. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the next step is uh, build a guiding coalition. So guiding coalition uh, is you know, the management and the, the project team that is kind of um, organizing, orchestrating how things should be executed. So it, it's uh, from uh, defining the, the, the goals to, to providing the budget to creating actual project team who will work on different topics. Um, and it also goes back to uh, creating this center of excellence, which we discussed uh, with uh, another guest of ours in one of the previous episodes, um, where we... Uh, highlighted how important this actually is to have someone who drives this initiative of, of process mining. And change management is uh, like a higher or is a, um, you um, know, a, umbrella. A, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, it's it's uh, like uh, shielding this, this whole process mining as well. And therefore, but building a guiding coalition is very important. Yeah, you listeners could not see it, but Jakob was wildly waving with his hands above his head. That's why I said umbrella. <laughs> But yeah, so this uh, guiding coalition is, um, uh, expound on this a little bit, if you like, um, the stakeholders or just essentially the people that are there to drive the change and figure out who's involved and who to get together and how to plan things, right? Exactly. Especially because, as we mentioned, some of the changes are, you know, they don't stay within one team, within one department, but are cross, uh, cross company, really. And therefore you need some people who, uh, know the company, uh, and can pull some levers when needed. Mm. Right. So, uh, can, can please continue. Yeah, the, the next step is actually a form a strategic vision and initiative. Um, and this actually already revolves around the, the, the goals and what you're trying to achieve with, with your change management uh, initiative. Now, would that always be the same, right? If we talk about, hey, this is, at the end of the day, we want to implement this change, right? What else is involved in, in this initiative? Well, you can also look at uh, different uh, goals that you have. If you want to improve your uh, accounts payable process and you want to improve your payments, well, probably it's not going to be only uh, everything needs to be paid on time, but you also need to go uh, a little up the stream of the process and start looking into how the invoices are digested mm -hmm. and processed, approved, and so on, because this ultimately impacts everything down the stream. And for that reason... Uh, having this, uh, not only the high-level vision, which would be, we need to pay on time, but actually cutting it into pieces and see, okay, this and this and this we need to do in order to improve the overall picture and the overall performance. Um, this is something that needs to be then laid down and prioritized by this guiding coalition. Mm, okay, so having like a holistic picture of all the things that need to change in order to achieve the overarching goal that is to um, you know, pay things more on time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The next step, uh, <laughs> the fourth step is enlist the volunteer army. And I really like this one because uh, very often it feels like, uh, you know, this is this is you and me, Patrick, the volunteer army. The volunteer the people, army? Even though we are not very volunteering here, uh, we are... We're not uh, much of an army. <laughs> <laughs> We're not much of an army. But these are the people who are actually executing the change, who are, uh, you know, in... Um, who are really putting themselves up in the in the front line of implementing the changes and doing the heavy lifting. So this is either the organizational change or the actual technological change, if it were it be a program or, or things like that. Exactly. So that's the fourth step. 
Um, the fifth step is enable action by removing barriers. And uh, in my opinion, this is something uh, that you simply enable your people to to perform, first of all, the, the technical tasks that they need to do, but also allow them to actually focus on it uh, with their time and with their dedication. This is something that I'm facing very often with uh, my customers. When uh, we want to change something, we want to improve it, we want the users to start using the technology, the process mining, and start, uh, you know, uh, become an analyst, really. Uh, however, it's always on top of their current uh, the current uh, tasks that they have to do. And uh, this is just not really doable because, well, nobody wants to work uh, 140% each week. Uh, and therefore you have to create, uh, you have to create a scenario where people actually have time, uh, to focus on their problems. Yeah. This, 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 um, this topic is a big one because, um, like you said, we see this all the time and it's not just that in order for you to focus on these new tasks, specifically if it's change management or adopting a new tool like process mining or anything like that, you need to dedicate a good amount of time to really get to grips with what you're looking at and really adopting it usefully and effectively. And with that um, comes that expectation of you need time to do this. And if somebody says, yeah, we have this new tool, you're going to use it now, and it's going to take up 50% of your time. But on top of that, please keep doing what you're already doing. So free up half your calendar while still doing the same amount of stuff. (laughs) It's just, I mean, from a physics point of view, I think just impossible, right? Just squeezing all that into time. I think that's just not possible. So I think also one of those things that needs to be accounted for resources right and this comes from this um this coalition um if you put it to make sure that the the required people the people in the front lines do get that time and do get that um um the support they need to actually go ahead and do this and not have it be a side project that gets left on the on the side of the road exactly um then we we'll actually go to the next step which is uh, generate short-term wins and uh, this is also a no-brainer for me. Whenever I start a project of process mining, I always try to ask the, the customer, the business people, what is your biggest need? What is your biggest change? And we uh, we kind of create these metrics where we are putting like a, a low effort, big, big impact implementations, uh, then also the high effort, uh, low impact. And we kind of create these metrics of uh, what should be prioritized and what not based on how we feel about um what kind of impact would it eventually have and how difficult for us it would be to implement. And the, the sole purpose of this uh, exercise is to uh, kind of pinpoint the areas where we can, in a little amount of time, with a little amount of effort, create some big wins for the organization. Uh, and it's important because once you have these big wins, uh, they can actually justify the further and continuous investment into the technology. Oh yeah, I mean this is also a big thing. The um, the cost that it takes to actually get that win, like you said, quick wins are great. Um, it also doesn't really require change management in a lot of cases, right? So there's there's not that big involvement, that big overhead of involving everybody and calculating risk and all these things that comes along with it. It's a fairly quick win. Yeah. Now there are of course other um, things that you identify. You can identify them fairly quickly. That where we can see that if you want to change this then this is going to require like big changes in your organization yeah. as well, right? And those are more on the, the back burner, like maybe the, the cost that we calculate for, for this problem doesn't really justify the, the cost of actually changing your organization to that degree so that you know this problem would be solved, right? So there's a bit of like a cost-benefit type of um, calculation that you also need to take into account. Exactly. Um, the seventh step is uh, sustained acceleration. Um, Again, it's very easy to come into a project and have uh, a lot of excitement and a lot of energy and like uh, be uh, very, um, I would say, just going to do things. Uh, but you know, once you have first obstacles, once you start uh, seeing that it actually requires more work than initially anticipated, you start uh, seeing first problems, first issues. It's very easy to lose this enthusiasm, and therefore. A system must be in place to um, to mitigate this risk because if people lose their enthusiasm and if uh, and you know uh, if the main person the, the main managers who are supposed to drive this initiative lose this motivation, uh, it can happen then that, that the project 
is not successful just because uh, you know you were hoping for quick wins. You were hoping for uh, implementing a solution that will just with a magic wish of a, a, a <laughs> you know just change everything, and just didn't happen. Mm. So this is also a big point that I I can't believe like a lot of these um, aspects that we're talking about have to do so much with human emotion, but like the enthusiasm is such a it's such a big thing, right? And um, so losing that is is critical, you know. If you if you can if you find that person that drives it that really pushes everyone else and to adopt to for adoption and all these things, and regardless if there's issues or setbacks and you know maybe a lull in the project, maybe vacation time, you know how it is, and people come back and completely forgot what they were doing. Um, you know, someone that keeps that motivation up and that that drive is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah, and the last step is actually to institute the change. And uh, if you already went all this effort and all this hustle to get all the way here, you kind of want the change to, to stick, to, to be uh, ever-present in your organization. And that means a lot of things. That means... Uh, allocating actual resources on uh, continuing with uh, using the technology or any any other process change that you you might have made. It also means that you should um, document the changes, right? That you should create a system <laughs> about uh, about uh, how these changes uh, should be used going forward and create the whole system around that. And uh, on on continuous basis, also evaluate the system whether the changes that you've implemented are actually um, getting you to the goal that you uh, laid at the very beginning. Because if you say, okay, I want uh, my accounts payable to be paid off time, um, you implement the changes and within six months you see that you are actually paying even later than that, then well, maybe the change <laughs> management wasn't such a big success, was it? Yeah, or maybe, I mean, you are paying more things on time, but it has a corollary effect somewhere else down the road. Maybe some other department is now affected by the different way of how the AP department is now doing things. Right, so it's it's like pushing in one direction can lead to things falling off on some other part of the business, right? And that needs to be evaluated. Right, so having regular cycles where you evaluate, okay, was this a success? What do we need to change? Do we cause more problems that we now need to fix? Do we need to revert? I don't know, you know, something like that is incredibly important. But what I also think that you're mentioning, documentation, is huge. I mean, <laughs> you and I both know this about how we um, talk technical details with a lot of people and saying, yeah, this was done like two years ago. Here's the documentation. And the documentation looks nothing like what we're looking at. And it's like, <laughs> well, there seems to have been a little bit of work since, since this documentation was written. It's like, yeah, maybe a little bit, right? So can, yeah. like documentation about how your process works, the steps involved, who's involved, um, and all the pitfalls and all these things, incredibly important. And I think to my knowledge, there's not a single company that I know of or that I've worked with that does it well. I mean, we don't even do it well. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Patrick? You're doing great. I have all the documentation in my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ask me course. anything about my work. I will tell you exactly where to find what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you're on vacation, I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, well, I never go on vacation, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true. So, but so this documentation is an incredibly important aspect of the whole, of the whole thing. I've seen way too many memes about documentation in the last couple of weeks, so um, <laughs> <laughs> we might even post some uh, in as a, as a preview for our episode for for this one. <laughs> yeah, documentation <laughs> memes. I've never thought I'd see it. Uh, let's have some fun. Um, anyway, um, the reasons why organization want to change is is uh, I, I think uh, already pretty obvious. As uh, you know, we are living in a world where. Uh, what we were using a year ago is not the same what we are using today. And it's changing continuously, very fast. Uh, and if you think about how organizations worked 15 years ago and how they work now, it's a very big change, very big shift. Uh, a lot of new technologies were introduced in just last couple of years. And to keep up with these changes, to stay competitive, you simply need to adapt or you are out of the game. And having... Um, uh, organized and efficient change management in place is vital to keep up with the changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is a big thing where you know we have new technologies that are introduced to the market. You know, that's one aspect, but also the market itself is changing, right? So the the demand for things is changing over the years, and you need to adapt or need to have some flexibility in your organization to be able to adapt to those to those changes because the competitors are right. So. Yeah. Being on the back foot of of change, or at least being aware of the things that are going on, 
um, needs to be vital. And that's why change is always, always good. There was a running joke uh, when Corona hit for the first time, when everybody just went uh, to work from home office. Uh, who was the biggest uh, reason for digitalization? And there was like a CEO, a CIO, or coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> <Pick> <laughs> I mean, it's it's really amazing that uh, a, a wide worldwide virus has actually bigger impact on how we work than any other initiative from. Uh, you know, within or outside of organizations that we could even imagine. Yeah, I mean, I kind of disagree. I mean, it's more of the forced way to change, right? The companies really didn't have a choice in, in this day, right? Okay, True. you need to work from home, and all of a sudden, there's a need to change. It's not like they wanted to, this to happen, right? True, so, but very often you don't, you always, or very often you do have these external, um, external triggers that uh, force you to change whether you want or not. That's also true, but I guess I'm, my main point is that it was not like from... I mean, there's a change in the market. This can take years and all these things, you know, things are, ties are changing. But um, all of a sudden from yesterday to today that it just completely changed and everyone now <laughs> needs to just work from home and everyone's uh, just thinking, okay, but how do we how do we do that now? That's like the biggest or fastest change management that I think companies have, have done in a while. Right. And it's probably here to last. Um, anyway, many reasons why organizations would want to change, uh, as I said, start with these external factors, but it can be also uh, as things that you don't even plan for, such as, I don't know, a shift in laws or regulations, some new economical trends, new competitors, and even introduction of new technology. Because um, process mining, while it's a supportive uh, tool for change management, is a change management as a, in, in itself, because you are introducing new technology and you need to yeah. uh, enable people, you need to build a team around that to uh, support other change managements that are, you know, <laughs> on, on different fronts. And yeah. there you have this change management everywhere and you're kind of starting to get lost. Yeah, and I think this is also a big point where we have to really look at um, the need of business users and the reason for process mining. And I think a lot of the times it's it's the idea that, hey, we can apply this tool and this will just kind of fix the problem and we'll be able to execute and do all of our automation and all these things where um, you could have just looked at it from a change management point of view and said, okay, let's look at the the structural problems, the inherent process problems that are arising to these to these problems and not have it be um, a, a just another tool that you throw onto a problem to, to fix it, but rather a more in-depth look and maybe fix it from a change management point of view. Yeah, we have a beautiful slide for that. Uh, we were just Ooh. discussing with Patrick. We don't even know who created it for our company, but uh, <laughs> I know I keep coming into everyone. And we have this iceberg, uh, which uh, you see just a tip of it uh, above the above the sea level, and then there is this huge part under, uh, you know, underwater. At the top of the iceberg is process mining technology, you know, and it's what you think you need to, to facilitate the change, to improve your processes, to just uh, become a process-centric organization. However, what you actually need is everything else below the sea level, which are things around the team, you know, the executive buying. It's also um, the enablement of the users. It's uh, user adoption. It's the governance model. It's also value monitoring. And there's just so many things that you have to think of when you start with implementing process mining, uh, while everybody thinks that it's just a technology that's going to point into the problems you have in process. Um, you know, good insights do not guarantee that the change will be made. And that's where people step in again and the, it's it's them who eventually have to translate the findings into something tangible, something valuable, something that will result in actual savings or improvements. Yeah, the actual improvement part of, of the process, right? Highlighting the inefficiencies is good and fine, but okay, so what are you going to do about it, right? That's That's the question. Well, I guess we have to do this and this and this, and that involves, again, change management in most cases. Yeah. So while process mining, well, actually, it will allow you to do many things. It will allow you to begin with, right, to make a precise diagnosis in almost real time of your of your processes, and it can be uh, by by uh, it can be global, it can be by unit, it can be a lot of different dimensions, and it just this does this X ray into your processes, into your business processes, and help you uh, understand what is it that you are actually doing there. 
including all the bottlenecks, including all the reworks, anomalies. Um, however, this is still just the data that has to be ingested by you, by your organization, and eventually be in a certain way leveraged into in this in this whole ecosystem of change management. Right, and you you, you said it. I mean, there's um, it fits into the model because you can have an idea about where your process is and that it needs to change. Right, everyone's complaining; these things aren't working. You know, we're not adapting. There can be a whole lot of things wrong. And process mining is, like you said, the x-ray in figuring out where these bottlenecks are, where they're the most severe, what are costing you the most money, um, where it's at, it's at its most inefficient and, and things like that, right? That, that's what process mining is, is perfect for. Yeah, it also helps you evaluate the conformity. And what I mean by that, uh, again, I'm just going to do a little uh, side note here that we talked about conformance checking uh, in one of our previous episodes. So if you want to know more, just go check check it out. Um, but what you do there is that you check whether your processes are executed as they are designed. And that especially is valuable once you implement the changes, because when you implement the changes, you you assume that you either pay in time or you have some other process steps that don't even occur or are executed in a specific uh, sequence. And by creating this conformance checking, uh, you can actually say whether your change uh, be it in the way that people are using the system or that you actually design it or by some improvements are translated into reality and whether you are really, really um, harvesting on what you uh, set out to do. Yeah, this is exactly what process lifecycle is then here to do, right? It's a, it's a cycle, so we have to continuously evaluate the efficiency of it and continuously monitoring with process mining the, the way that we think it's going to, to work the, the goals that we achieve, the, the overarching aim, um, maybe something else happened. Maybe we've added more things into, into the process by then. So you will start to see new activities or things like that uh, occur. And that is to monitor, right? Check the conformance. Is it now in your, in your head? Are all the swim lanes being occupied in the way that your BPMN <laughs> model is, uh, is saying that they should, right? And can you monitor that? And is it really meeting expectations? Yeah. And with that, I'm realizing more and more how important process mining is in the bigger uh, scheme of things that uh, I start to really resonate with some of the ideas that our previous guests had that it just cannot coexist as a as a segregated, uh, separate uh, initiative, but it should be uh, or it's highly recommended to integrate it into the whole um, into the whole process management, into this category where you design the processes, but also monitor them and evaluate them and create the system around them. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's for quick wins. I mean, you can get quick wins. That's totally fine. But at some point, you're <laughs> you're going to need to change on a deeper level, right? And process mining is still one of the the best tools yeah. for analyzing processes, right? So it makes yeah. total sense to be able to integrate that into the already existing change management tool toolset, right? And why I'm saying that is uh, because very often uh, we actually see that uh, this is not always the case. And uh, I don't blame uh, anyone who uh, jumps into quick conclusions because it's usually very easy. And there's always this disbalance between do I really want to uh, mitigate the problem and fix it ASAP? Or do I actually want to really go back into the system and figure out what is going on and why is it going wrong? Uh, because these can take very, very long time. If you worked in corporations before, uh, you know how slow there can be. Uh, sometimes you are just pulling your hair out of your head and thinking, how can it take so long to approve mm -hmm. this one little thing to change in the system uh, since I already opened it four months ago? What is taking so long? Um, What's taking so long is that the change is actually being probably being uh, evaluated, and uh, to consider them, you know, you need to see what kind of impact it would have. Um, and while having this on one side, you have the very powerful technologies on the other side, which not only um, show you the process mining, your processes, your business processes, how they are, but they also give you uh, pretty uh, strong tools in your hands on how to uh, basically make the problems go away. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the impact analysis is already a massive part 
I mean, you need to speak to all the people that are involved, all the programs and the technical people behind those. It could be um, that it needs some sort of mitigation, right? So before and after, like how quickly, when do we implement it? So the time, because it can be dependent on other changes. So making sure that the scheduling is, is right and also having that contingency, you know, if this change actually is inherently bad and is causing a lot of issues, how do we roll back to a previous situation, right? So like all these things need to be planned ahead before, you know, change can just be implemented. Check yeah. mark done. No, it's probably a good idea that we do this methodically and carefully in order to not cause a massive yeah. disaster. Yeah, and uh, I've been asked a couple of times already to automate some problems away uh, using technology. Mm. And while you have access to it and things can be done, I'm always very, very hesitant in making something like that happen. Because if I think about it, let's say that you have um, some payment blocks uh, that are occurring in your purchase to pay and accounts payable processes. Um, what maybe a business person would want is just to remove the payment blocks automatically uh, because, well, they decided that it's probably best so that they can pay in time. But the payment block occurs probably for some reason, be it some mismatches between PO and between the invoice or something, um, be it uh, non-delivered uh, goods receipt uh, or goods uh, or, or things like that, right? And while you can technically solve the problem by implementing some relatively straightforward automation, you should probably first ask, is this a good idea? Yes or no? And if, if, if no, then, or if both actually, if yes or no, why is it a good idea? And really try to first go backwards before actually implementing anything because it can have big implications for, for everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the people that are adopting this new um, strategy of, hey, we can automate, we can execute, we can push things back into systems and stuff, often kind of missed that point. Um, happened to me recently in, uh, at a client where I said, hey, okay, we want to write back into our ERP system and just have this thing done automatically through from, from this process mining um, tool. And I said, okay, sure. And then I, I tried to shoot it off. And you know that scene in Lord of the Rings where Pippin accidentally like throws that bucket down the well and it makes a whole bunch of noise and all the orcs come rushing in. That's essentially what I was dealing with because all of a sudden I was getting emails from everybody in that organization. It's like, okay, what's the need? Why are you doing this? Well, what, what, what's the purpose? Blah, blah, blah. And I was, all of a sudden, you know, there's a big thing that, that's happening here. It's not just as simple as, okay, I can technologically do it, but all of a sudden everyone's wondering why I'm doing it. What's the, what's the reason? What's the business purpose, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like when you go down this road, uh, it almost feels like uh, imagine that you're sitting on your couch in your in your house, and uh, there's just water dripping from the top. You like mm -hmm. look at that, and um, then you look down, and you find out that you actually already have like uh, ten centimeters of water in your room, and you're like, "Damn it! I should <laughs> probably solve this problem." So you basically. Um, decide because you're lazy and you bought this uh, very cool pump recently you say okay i'm just gonna suck out uh, all the water just uh, you know out uh, down the down the sink or something and you put the pump there and you know you think problem solved however whenever it rains you still end up with having a lot of water uh, on your floor which is not an ideal situation and while you kind of fix it with your pump Probably if it happens five, ten times, uh, your carpet's going to be kind of smelly and you might have some uh, organiza organiza organisms living in your, in your uh, <laughs> walls. And you probably don't want that. Um, what you could do uh, instead is think about why is the problem caused? Why is it actually raining uh, and pouring uh, down, uh, down, the, down the ceiling into your room? And you might find out, oh, I actually have a hole in the roof. So what you probably do instead is fix the hole in the roof so that it doesn't uh, rain there in the first place. So two different approaches, both of them seemingly fix the problem, but uh, one while might be actually a bit uh, more uh, cumbersome because you need to make more efforts to fix uh, a hole in the roof is probably the, the right solution in this specific case. <laughs> yeah, I mean identifying a problem and then I think you could ask like a hundred people and they'd all come up with a different solution. I mean, probably some are more obvious than others, but if you see a, a hole in your roof, you know, the solution should be, hey, fix the hole rather than pump out all the water that's coming in or, you know, anything like that. So figuring out the best solution 
even if it is more cumbersome, is exactly that that hurdle, right? It costs more energy, you need more resources, you need to plan more, and it's um, it's not as quick, right? It's not that quick win that you were looking for. Yes, you can just set up the pump right away and it'll just, your problem will be solved, but it doesn't solve the inherent issue. And that can be tricky to overcome, right? Nobody likes expending extra energy, I mean, specific for business, hey, costs more money, um, it takes a little bit longer to implement, changes stalling, things like that. That's more uncomfortable, but it's the better solution for that particular problem. Yeah, but again, uh, process mining will help you with identifying this. Imagine that you uh, create this process uh, rain to uh, pump or something. <laughs> <laughs> this analogy is getting off the off Yeah, yeah, it's, it's off. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, if you created this and you would find out that Whenever it rains, uh, you have to use the pump, right? So you already have this clear correlation. And when you think, okay, it rains, let's see what happens before there. And you will see this uh, water goes down the roof. And it always starts with this part. So you already have this this guidance that is uh, created through mapping your processes. uh, And you can act upon that. And that's uh, the, the ultimate uh, root cause analysis that you should uh, aim for and strive for when uh, rolling the process mining technology out. Mm-hmm. So we've high- highlighted a lot of the change management aspects, but I think it's also important to realize that you know not everything is successful, right? Organizations fail and change all the time. It's nothing uncommon that happens, especially in bigger organizations, right? Change takes time, it's hard, things fail. Yeah, so, I even I even saw the statistics that according to McKinsey, there had this research on transformation programs, and they said in their study that seventy percent of transformation programs fail, which is oh, insane. That is a lot, and a I lot. mean, looking back at, at some of the examples that I've seen at, at Airbus, it was there was one example that was like a program for uh, electrics, right? It's um fairly. It was fairly outdated. It couldn't do a lot of the functions that they wanted it to do. So there were a whole bunch of fixes and extra features that were programmed and all this stuff. But it, you know, the the ending was nigh for that program. It needed to be replaced. Needed to be integrated, right? And so there was always this this um, constant um, cycle of, hey, we have a new plan on how we want to change this, and and deadline is one and a half years. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> change it out, and it's gonna be done, and we're gonna have this new program. It's gonna work just just how we want. One and a half year deadline. Um, and this is the proposed budget, get it done. <laughs> what ended up happening is, of course, it, they were trying, the, these people are doing their best, trying to really evaluate all these things, and all of a sudden coming up with more problems, more problems, why this is a big <laughs> risk, and we need more time, we need more budget, we need more stuff, and deadline comes around, budget's way, or, <laughs> way over, and well, no, maybe we'll find somebody else to do this job. And again, let's go, one and a half years, this budget, let's go, do your thing. And it didn't work out. Right, so it's inherent that some of these things just don't go according to plan, and the problems are bigger than you think, right? And so we should definitely talk about like why these organizations fail, and there's a ton of reasons, and a lot of these can be organizational specific why some projects, why transformations fail. But um, again, we can highlight a few of them. One of those is jumping to a solution to the problem right it's something that we mentioned before you know highlight seeing this this bucket uh, seeing the hole and just jumping to the solution of okay let's just pump it out right just getting that quick fix getting that um, quick win uh, before you really uh, establish the proper solution to that would inherently fix it for a long term right so just immediately jumping the gun yeah, one of the other issues that you probably just discussed was uh, this um underestimating the problem in the first place uh, yeah you know just severely underestimating yeah, it yeah just because you want to change something and it seems easy on the paper you know you just draw an arrow from point a to point b and say <laughs> 1.5 years uh 500 euros of budget let's fix it yeah. um you start having these all other arrows that go from point a to point c and you know back to point a and so on and so forth and you just realize oh okay um <laughs> nice <laughs> maybe not yeah exactly and <laughs> maybe not. you know it's also it's also one of those morale things that we spoke about you know there there's a deadline and the person that's in charge of it knows okay well if i if i don't get this done in one and a half years and with the budget then you know i'm gonna have to look somewhere else for to find a job right so it's it's like these types of goals right and realistic goal setting is one of them right so um knowing what you're getting into right so not underestimating the problem and also having realistic goals of when these things should be done and by, by what time, right? So, and having the elasticity 
in your planning to say, okay, maybe I just found out this is really difficult and we need to reorganize. We need to restructure, maybe rethink. We have come up with these problems now that we didn't mm-hmm. think about before. Now let's reprioritize and make new schedules, right? So adapting it and not setting these hard goals, specifically when it comes to something inherently difficult to change, you know, you, there needs to be some sort of flexibility. Yeah, and uh, once you have the budget and the time frame, just multiply it by two. Uh, that's uh, my Three, uh, little recommendation. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, of course, you need to be wary of budget. There's not infinite supply of money. And of course, you need to make sure that this is used responsibly. And um, But a lot of the problems that you find, you don't know until you start. Right. Yeah. And you just, yeah. you can budget for these, but you specifically when you're doing impact analyses, that's specifically the problem, right? You're doing an analysis on to see how it would impact the other business. You don't know until you do it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Although I must again say that there are some interesting ways, especially in process mining and business processes, how you can kind of predict the future and run these uh, predictive models on how a certain change in the process might actually. Uh, result or what it might actually result in. Uh, so these are some interesting topics that I would love to actually cover in some of the future episodes. Yeah. I mean, impact analysis can be anything from, hey, we have this extra process step to, hey, I'm going to pull out this cable on this server. What's going to happen? You know, that's that's one of the impact analyses that you have to yeah. do, specifically when it comes to infrastructure change or technological yeah. change that often involves hardware and all these things. All these things have to be accounted for. You can't just take out everything and just hope for the best. I mean, you can, but <laughs> it's probably not going to go that well for you. And for that reason, exactly, I believe you need to have a very strong governance in place and uh, be watchful for all those uh, little things that can occur for the dependencies and false also orchestrating the whole organization around the change that you're doing. Um, because one thing is to execute the change, but the other is then uh, tell everyone who is involved somehow in the process of this change um, what they should do. Uh, the last thing that you want to do is change your uh, system, don't tell the users, and then they <laughs> come to work at one day after the weekend when the change was allowed and nothing works anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, maybe I should probably give them access and tell them how to use the tool first before uh, rolling mm-hmm. it out and telling them this is now the new way of working. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was sitting next to the person that was in charge of company-wide emails or specific emails that were sent to specific groups about how to communicate and all the things that are involved. Like, okay, this is what's going to happen in like a month. Be prepared. This is what's going to look like. This is what we're doing. Then a week before, hey, just reminder, this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And organizing all, the, all this communication is a huge, huge part of it, right? And even then, even if you do your best on communicating, if you staple it onto people's desk and say, hey, this is, people are still not going to know what, that this is changing, right? So, I mean, it's, um, you can't force people to read stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we all know how it works when you get a company's newsletter. It's usually uh, end up somewhere in the spam folder in the first place. And if yeah. it doesn't, you just uh, assign it low priority, put it as to do later. And uh, never read later, it again. Yeah, and the week later, you find out that your uh, account is disabled because you didn't uh, update your system or something. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm so guilty yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just uh, calling your support, like, uh, hey guys, so. Uh, <laughs> Um, listen, I uh, really wanted to do that, uh, but I kind of forgot. And yeah, like, and they come with tried. so much. They come, yeah, exactly. It's that tone of just you didn't read it, did you? Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Read the damn manual, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ultimately, what I found fascinating is how much uh, this whole discipline of change management is a people's game, because uh, processes are people. Uh, and um, even though you you execute something in the system, you have ERP and you are planning and so on, um, ultimately it's still people who are doing this action, be it the interaction with the system or the actual work behind what is going, uh, you know, behind the curtains of your process. And therefore you should... Uh, organize your processes as if you are organizing a people and be aware that ultimately it's also the people who can um, be the bottlenecks uh, and uh, hand it with uh, a lot of care and a lot of patience as well. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you bring up a super good point. The the focus on the people, because you'd be surprised, I mean, probably not the people listening, there's a lot of ego going around in a lot of this, in a lot of business, right? And um, it's something it's as stupid as hey this one 
com- like uh, plant does it better than another plant and right and so they don't want to give up their way of doing it because they think theirs is better than the other ones right but in terms of um you know making uh, coalescing something together into one process everyone's like well no i'm gonna do it we should do it our way and they should do what we do and they're thinking no no we ev- everyone else should do what we do because we do it best right and there's like this inherent ego that comes with them um, you know you thinking you're you know the you know emperor of everything and you do everything perfectly <laughs> and um so everyone should do what you think is best but you know there's a there's a more overarching this this umbrella thing that you were raving about before like this umbrella vision that you need to have to make sure that you know what's best for the company right and not best for like one specific way and yeah. sometimes you just need to put your foot down and say everyone shut up <laughs> we're just going to do it this way because that's what's best and everyone just needs to get with the program right Shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's that's the case. And I mean, uh, well, from what I've seen, this um, this uh, this ego is is deep with a lot of people, and they can hold a lot of things up. Yeah, I know it's deep with me. <laughs> 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 I like doing things my way. <laughs> so what? We have scripts to my to make it faster. <laughs> yeah, what? But all of a sudden, I have to document? No way. <laughs> Yeah, this this change management topic is is huge, and uh, we didn't even talk about everything. We completely skipped a chapter about overcoming resistance to change, which I think we can actually make a whole episode out of because it's it's again yeah. fascinating and it goes a lot into these human factors of of process changes and of uh, managing these these changes uh, overall. So this is something that we might get into later on. And as I mentioned at the beginning, one of the reasons why we created this episode in the first place is that um, I was actually invited to give a little um, bit of a little presentation uh, from from Celonis uh, about uh, how to uh, orchestrate the changes around implementation of process mining. So I'm really excited to do this. It will be actually at the day of release of this episode in Copenhagen. I've never been to the city, so one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to it is just <laughs> <laughs> very, very, uh, you know, I'm just going to go somewhere I've never been before, which is always cool. Um, and uh, this actually served as a little preparation for myself so that I can um, organize my thoughts and create um, a more probably digestible and shorter version on how you can go about um, implementing your process mining efforts into daily use and actually use it what it was designed for, which is you know utilizing it in, uh, and leveraging it in the process uh, process management and actually also change management. So if you have any other recommendations or ideas or you just want to share some of your burden that you, you have on your, <laughs> on your shoulders with change management, then trust me, uh, I know what, what you feel like. Uh, sometimes it just feels like uh, you're, you're fighting these, uh, the, the, the wind or something because it just feels like it's going el- anywhere but where you want it to go. Um, so just text us. On email, uh, mining or business podcast at gmail.com. We are also very active on LinkedIn. So, uh, feel free to, to reach out. Yeah. Um, and if to all the people, to all the change management people that are screaming right now at us saying, you didn't mention this and you got this wrong, please come on the show, correct the record and tell us all about it. Right. We will be happy to give you some spotlight. Uh, anyway, to everyone else, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope that this also uh, taught you something because it really, really uh, taught us something for sure. And uh, we will be looking forward to, uh, you know, talking to you again with the next episode of Mining or Business Podcast. Thank you very much, Patrick. Have a nice day. And for everyone else, bye-bye. 